find them on our app. Today we're finishing up spiritual disciplines with a message, getting into God's Word. Pastor Dwayne is explaining the benefits of taking time every day to spend with God, where to start and what to expect. Let's get started. Today, I want to talk to you about taking time out of your day to spend time with God. You know, many people call it having a quiet time every day. I would just simply say, like, it's being a spiritual person. Um, we're, we're in the 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I want to give you just a little different thought on the subject of prayer. So often, people just think about prayer as I'm talking to God, and particularly making requests. And that's part of prayer. But so is listening. So is getting in the Word of God, reading your Word, your Bible, meditating on the Word of God, resisting the devil, walking with God, uh, having an ongoing conversation with God about every area of your life. Now, I want to encourage you to do it every day, if possible. Um, the, the psalmist said this. He said, awake, <laughs> lute and harp, and I will awaken the dawn. That works for some of us, but not for others of us. Some of you are not to awaken the dawn. Uh, I, when Jeannie and I got married, I was not a morning person. I had worked second shift and got off work at 2.30 in the morning. And uh, we got married, and, and literally, she would jump out of bed at 5 o'clock and dance around the bed, you know. She doesn't do that anymore. You know, it's been 47 years. But uh, she was a morning person, has made me a morning person. Again, in Psalms uh, 63, 1, early I will seek you. But then if you go into the New Testament, in the book of Acts, the third chapter, first verse, it talks about Peter and John going up to the temple courts for the three o'clock prayers. Some of your translations say the prayers, but it's three o'clock. It wasn't early in the morning. Um, some of you are morning people, some of you are not. I believe that it is important to have a time where every day you spend time with God. And, and somebody said, well, yeah, I do, but it takes me about 30 seconds and I'm done praying. You know, you got my thing and in and, and just a moment or two, I, I'm done. Um, I thought it was interesting that even some of our translations of Acts 3, 1 say the prayers. Until about 250 years ago, most Christians did not do impromptu prayers which are kind of the most common prayers for us today. Just, you know, this is kind of off the cuff and just praying. Most Christians prayed with a prayer book. There's a Presbyterian prayer book, a Methodist prayer book. There's an Episcopal prayer book. There's a Catholic prayer book. Most Christians prayed with prayers, the prayers with a prayer book. And there would be a prayer about how to pray for your spouse, how to pray for your children how to pray uh, the prayer of forgiveness. There would just be different prayers. In fact, Jesus' disciples came to him and said, teach us to pray, right? Like John taught his disciples to pray. And Jesus gives them a model prayer. In fact, if, if you pray the Lord's Prayer, and you pray the Lord's Prayer with intentionality, not how fast can we get through that prayer, but you pray it with intentionality, you've prayed a great prayer. A great prayer. Uh, Jeannie has her own prayer book that she has uh, put together through the years. And uh, it's probably about that thick now. 
And, and the reason I'm here is because of that prayer book. She puts my name in all those prayers and prays them for me. And I'm telling you, it makes a difference. But it needs to be a daily habit. Somebody says, well, I, I would like to do that, Pastor, but I just don't have time to do that. I am so busy. Now, in Proverbs 3, I want to just read two verses. And, and these verses have, I, I'm going to testify. These verses have made a huge difference in my life. It says, my son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. Now, listen, for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. I believe everybody's looking for peace. It says, you get in the word, it will add peace to you. Then it says long life. How do you want a good long life? All right. But then notice it says length of days. It's not talking about how long you live. It's talking about God blessing your day so you get more done in your day. How many of you wish sometimes that there were 30 hours in a day and you still only had to sleep the same amount. Because, like, there's so much to do. You know, uh, you want to be like Superman where he divides himself and goes in two different directions, you know, because there's just not enough time to do everything you need to do. God says, you put me first, you give me time, I will bless your day and give you length of days. God will help us get more done in that day. He will order our steps. So it's not that we don't have time, because the truth is, how many know everybody makes time for what's important? When somebody says, if, if, I, if you come to me and say, would you like to do this? And I say, I don't have time. This is what it means. It means it's not a high priority. I mean, it may be rude. You may think that's rude, but isn't it true? The things that are really important, you make time for. But you can't make time for everything. Right? And things are prioritized. God says, you prioritize me. You take time with me, and I will bless your day so it will seem like you, it's longer. You will get more done in that day when you spend time with God. So we want to spend time with the Lord. We talked about some of the things that are included in prayer. Right? In Psalms 1, it says, But his delight, the man that's blessed, is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Now, notice it says that God's word is to be our delight. Your delight is what you do when you get some extra time. That's your delight. You just get a few, you get a little extra time. What do you do? It says our delight should be in the law of the Lord. And we're to meditate in it day and night. Well, obviously you can't be reading it all the time, but you can meditate in it. You can be thinking about the word of God. And you can be applying the word of God to your situations. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that's written therein. Now, that's important. You're thinking about it. You're musing it. You're meditating on it. But you're doing it so you can do according to all that's written therein. Then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. Uh, the Barner's Research Group did a study several years ago of evangelical Christians. And they were trying to find out how many evangelical Christians have a Christian worldview. And so when they say the Christian worldview, they're saying you see things from a biblical perspective and you make your decisions based 
on the truth of God's word. They said 10%, 10% of evangelical Christians have a biblical worldview. In other words, we're meditating in God's word day and night. And when a situation comes up, we go to the word of God to figure out what's the right thing to do. 10%. That, that's a shame. That should be every single one of us, right? Now, if you were going to go to see the, the king of England, they, they, before you went in to see King Charles, they would, they would sit down with you and they would say, now, here's protocol. Said, you need to do this and this and don't do this and don't do this. You know, the Bible actually gives us protocol for coming to God. It says in Psalms 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, be thankful to him and bless his name. Well, somebody said, well, I'm not sure I have anything to be thankful for. Well, you can thank God that he loves you. You can thank him for his word. You can thank him for the blood. You can thank him that you're forgiven. You can thank him for your spouse, for your family, for your job, for your house, for your health. But be thankful when you come into God's presence. And of course, anytime I believe that we spend time with God on a daily basis, we need to go to the word of God. That is God's number one way to communicate with us. And it is God's way to change your life. I've told this story before, but I just want to tell it again because I want to hear it. So <laughs> several years ago, at the close of a service, and in fact, we were in the, the, the old sanctuary. I was sticking around afterwards and talking with people. And a man came most of the way down, and he stood about three rows back, and he waited till everybody else was gone. And then he came up, and when he, when he, even when he started to talk to me, he was already crying. And he said, Pastor... He says, I'm committing adultery. He says, I have been for two years. He says, and I want to quit, but I just can't quit. He said, will you please pray for me? And he's crying. And, and I said to him, well, I said, I'll pray for you, but it won't help much. And I said that to kind of get his attention, kind of like I did yours. And he said, what do you mean? Well, this is what I mean. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, don't be like the world. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And literally the word there is metamorphosis. It's like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. The best translation says it this way, by changing the way you think. You don't change your behavior by prayer. Prayer alone is not going to change your behavior. The way you change your behavior is by changing the way that you think. So I said to him, I said, here's what you need to do. I said, every day, I want you to read Proverbs 5 and Proverbs 7. You say, what are those? Those are the, Bible, the, the, the chapters in the Bible where it talks about the consequences of sexual sin. And then I said, every week, I want you to read the story about David and Bathsheba and what happened. And I want you to read the story of Samson and what happened to him. I said, if you do that and you keep doing that, I said, God's going to change the way you think. I said, now I'm going to pray for you. You see, we have to get in God's word. The purpose of the Bible is to change the way you think. And we need to go to the Bible that way. I'm going to the Bible not to, to say I read my Bible. 
I'm going to the Bible to find out what God thinks. And uh, Psalms 119, verse 128, David said, I consider your precepts, your word, concerning all things to be right. Right? See, when, when God says it one way and you're doing it another way, guess who's wrong? Yeah, he's right and he changes not. And then he goes on and said, I hate every false way. He said, when, 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 when I see something in your word that I'm not doing, I'm throwing out what I'm doing and I'm doing it your way. That's how we change the way we think. And that is what brings life change. Right? In 1 Peter 2, verse 2, it says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So we're, 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 we read the word, but then we meditate in that word. Right? We think about it and we apply it to our lives. Remember, it says in Joshua 1.8, that you may do, that you may do according to all that's written therein. Now, I want to spend some time right here. Uh, where should you read? Where should you read your Bible? I want to just say, first of all, you, you want to read in the New Testament. And you say, why in the New Testament? Because you are a New Testament believer. In fact, that word testament, you could really put in there way of righteousness. The old way of righteousness or the new way of righteousness. And by the way, the Bible says that he put away the first, the old, to establish the second. So you want to read in the New Testament. Secondly, you want to read in the epistles. Now, those are the letters that are written to different churches and to different people in the New Testament. Now, the reason is this. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you need to read that, but what you're seeing is you're seeing what you would have seen if you had actually been there. It's like you're taking a 35-millimeter picture. But when you get into the epistles, you're seeing what happened in the spiritual realm. It's like an x-ray picture. You're seeing beyond the natural, and it's presenting it from the spiritual perspective. It's in the epistles you find out who you are in Christ, what belongs to you in Christ, and what you can do in Christ. Now, listen, for decades and decades, I read my Bible cover to cover, cover to cover, cover to cover, over 100 times. And I look back and I think, how stupid could I be? Right? Because I'm reading about the tabernacle. Who cares that the curtains were blue? Who cares how tall they were? And who cares what the poles were made of? Right? But you know what? Where I find out who I am in Christ is in the epistles. Where I, who I find out what belongs to me is in the epistles. Where I find out what I can do in Christ is in the epistles. Now, at some point, every Christian needs to read the Old Testament. But that's not where you live. The food for your spirit as a New Testament believer is in the New Testament, especially in the epistles. Today, when I get, when I get alone with God and I'm spending my time daily in the Bible, most of my time is in the epistles. It's mostly in the epistles. And I will encourage you that way. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about the Old Testament. In Romans 3 and verse 20, it says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, 
where by keeping all the rules in the Old Testament, no flesh, no one will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, this may shock you, but the law was not given to make you right with God. The law was given so you'd know you're a sinner. I grew up in a church where every Sunday morning we read the Ten Commandments. Every Sunday morning. Not only that, um, it was our, our, we had been taught in church that after the evening meal, you're supposed to read a chapter in the Bible. And we did that cover to cover, cover to cover, spending most of our time in the Old Testament. And again, we've read, we read the Ten Commandments every week, and we really tried to obey the Ten Commandments. Uh, I was probably seven or eight years old. We're, we're driving, we, we've just, we're coming from church at Sunday. It's in the summer. It's a beautiful day. Right? And we're driving down the street, and on our street, there is somebody washing their car. And as we drive by, my dad said, they're going to hell because they're washing their car on Sunday. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. A few houses down, they're cutting the grass. They pointed and said, they're going to hell because they're cutting their grass on Sunday. I hated Sunday. You say, you say why? Well, we got home and we had to stay in the house. We couldn't go outside. We couldn't get on a bicycle. We couldn't play in the yard. We couldn't turn the television on. I mean, Sunday was miserable. All right? But we were holy. And we were trying to get to heaven, right? But we were getting to heaven because of what we did. But the Bible says that no one, not Mother Teresa, not Billy Graham, no one has ever been made right with God by obeying the law. The law wasn't given to make you right with God. The law was given to show you you're miserable, you're rotten thing, and you need to get saved. You need a savior, and as I've mentioned, there's only one religion on the face of the earth with a Savior, and that's Christianity. Right? In fact, God said there is no other Savior. Galatians chapter 5. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, if you're obeying the law to be right with God, Christ will profit you nothing. See, what a lot of people do is they try to say, yeah, we need Jesus, but... We need this, 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 and this. And we do this, and we don't do that. But if that's what you're doing, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. For you have become estranged from Christ. You have attempted to be justified by the law and have fallen from grace. That's pretty clear. He's saying you can't mix the two. You're either... A grace man, a Jesus man, or you're a law man. You cannot mix the two. Ephesians 2 and verse 8. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And it is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Nobody's right with God because, well, I did all the right things and I didn't do all these other things. It's by grace through faith. So I've heard this said, and I may have even said it. Faith moves God. 
Faith does not move God. Let me say that again. Faith does not move God. God has already moved. Everything that God has done for you is by grace. That means you don't deserve it. It's not that you earn it. I've I've had people come up to me and say, tell me why God won't bless me. I come to church and I pay my tithe and I sing in the choir and I give this and I do that and I read my Bible and I pray and why won't God bless me? I know exactly why God won't bless you, right? Because you're trying to earn it. And it's not of works, least anyone should boast. Everything that God has done for you and for me, he did because we didn't deserve it. And all faith ever does is receive what God has already done by grace. Your faith doesn't make God do something. All your faith can do is respond to what God has already done. So we're saved by grace through faith. Through faith, we receive what God has already done for us. Romans 3.21. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. How does God's righteousness come? Apart from the law. In other words, it's not because I do this and don't do that. It's by grace, and you receive it by faith. Galatians 3.10. For as many of you as are of the works of the law are under a curse. Ooh. You're trying to get saved by being right with God through the works of the law. You're under a curse for it's written curses. Everyone who does not continue in all the things that are written in the book of the law to do them. Curses everyone who does not continue in all the things. Now, by the way, there's not 10 commandments. There's 613. But if you even just look at the 10, how many you've blown it at least once? All right. You see, if you're trying to be right that way, it says you're under a curse. Everyone who does not continue in all the things written in the book of the law to do them. But to the one who is justified by the law, but no one is justified by the law in the sight of God, for it's evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith. For the man who does them shall live by them. The law is works. The law is I do this, I do this, and I don't do that. In Galatians 2, 1, 2, excuse me, 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we who have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh, no one will be justified in his sight. Galatians 2.21. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So you are not going to get to heaven because of how good you are. Because of what you do do and don't do. That's kind of bad. You do do. (laughs) (laughs) For if there had been a law given, that could have given life. Listen to this, Galatians 3, 21. For if there had been a law given, 
that could have given life. Truly, righteousness would have been by the law. So in other words, if the law could have made somebody righteous, then salvation would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be to those who believe. Galatians 3.25 says that the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ. The, the law was given to show us we need a Savior. We can't save ourselves. We can't do it all right. Galatians 5.3, and I testify again to everyone who becomes circumcised that he's a debtor to keep the whole law. To keep how much? The whole law. For you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, and you have fallen from grace. Now, notice it says the whole law. James said, if you break just one law, he says you broke the whole law. When I, when I was little, I was playing with my neighbor, Jeff Blake. They lived right across the street. They had a real nice red brick house with a big, big yard and, and a fancy walkout. And, and, I mean, that was a cool house. We're, I was playing with, I was playing with my, my friend. Jeff, and we were throwing marbles. And I threw this marble, and, and they had this big picture window, but I only hit the corner. All right. And and I, I it was like I think it was two or three panes, but and I only broke one of them. But Mr. Blake and my dad, they said it was all all shot and they had to replace the whole thing. It takes, took all my money plus a couple years' allowance. But I kept telling them it's just one little corner. And they said, no, the whole window's shot. You just break one part of the law, the whole thing's shot. Just one. Just one. All right? So what we, when we read the Old Testament, we read it in light of the New Testament. And realize we are not under that Old Testament law. Hebrews 8, 7. For if the first covenant had been faultless. So they're saying that old covenant, it had faults. Then no place would have been thought for a second. But the new is the second. In fact, it says that he takes away the first that he may establish the second, Hebrews 7, 18. For on the one hand, there is a nulling of the former commandment, the Old Testament, because of its weakness and unprofitableness. So the Old Testament was weak and unprofitable. It couldn't make you right with God. For the law made nothing perfect. But you know what Jesus' blood did? Made you perfect. In the Old Testament, the priests had to go into the Ark of the Covenant every year on the Day of Atonement, found in Leviticus 16. They had to kill an animal. He had to put on a certain garment, had to be freshly clean, and he had to go in and sprinkle the blood seven times on and in front of that mercy seat. And then he'd go out, and he had to do it again next year, and he had to do it again the next year, and the next year, and the next year, and the next year, and you say, why? Because the Bible says the blood of bulls and goats, it could never take away sin. And it could never make those who come perfect. 
But you know what Jesus did? His blood took away sin because he died once and obtained an eternal redemption. And the Bible says he made those who come perfect because he paid completely for our sin. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Once the new covenant came, the old covenant was immediately obsolete. Romans 8, 3, for that the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And on the count of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So as they're going out and they're no longer just preaching to the Jewish people, they're preaching to Gentiles. And the question comes up, well, do the Gentiles need to obey the law? What do they need to do? And there were certain people going out and said, well, yeah, you need Jesus, but Jesus is not enough. You need Jesus and the law. You need to obey these rules. So they get together, and it is really the first church council. Acts chapter 15. I think it's interesting. Every chapter, the first 14 chapters, there's miracles in every one. And then we get to the 15th chapter, and they get together and have a council, and there's nothing. But here it is. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we have given no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have there sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood. So don't eat blood. From things strangled, from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. So that's what the Holy Spirit and the leaders of the church said. Hey, you don't keep all of those Old Testament rules to be made right with God. Now, there's a lot of Old Testament things that really we we do them, but because it's part of the law of love. It says in the New Testament, he that loves his neighbor will do his neighbor no harm. So our law is the law of love. And they just gave a few little things to say, hey, do these things. He says, and you'll do well. So what is the purpose of the law? Real quick, because I'm going along. Didn't mean to, just got going. All right, so number one, the law is to warn us. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, now these things happen to them as examples and are written for, for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So there's things in the Old Testament that are written for us, that are applied to us. Now, it says they're written for our admonition. In the Greek, that word can be translated, slap your face. In other words, you're reading along, and you look at what happened to Samson. He gave the devil an opportunity, and the devil stepped in and snuffed him out. And you read that, and it slaps you, and you go, whoa, I better be careful. I'm opening the door to the devil, and the devil's going to try to use that 
to come in and destroy my life. They're written for our admonition. Secondly, it was given to show us we were sinners. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The law did not enter so people would be better. It was so they would know they were sinners. So offenses would abound. We would know we need a Savior. Martin Luther said this. He said, you preach the law to let people know that they're sinners and need a Savior. You preach grace so that they get saved. The law shows you you're a sinner and you you can't save yourself. The law shows God's holiness. What would God's standard be? Well, look at the law. You'll see God's standard. Many of you may not realize this, but 30% of your Bible is prophecy. 30%, that's a lot. And the reason for prophecy is this. It is to prove that the Bible is a supernatural book, that it is the word of God. Uh, I I was asked in between services, are you going to do some stuff on prophecy again? I think I'll do that sometime this year. Take a few weeks and and talk about some Bible prophecies. But it's interesting that the Bible prophesied, God said, I'm going to take the Jewish people and I'm going to spread them all over the world. And then he said, I'm going to bring them back home to their own land in the last days. You know, in the early 1900s, they were talking about possibly uh, having a Jewish state in Africa. Others were talking about a Jewish state being in South America. But you know where it is? Exactly where God said it was going to be. The land that he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Lord says, on the day that I cleanse them from their iniquities, I will also enable them to dwell in cities. And the ruins shall be rebuilt. Almost without exception, every single settlement in Israel is built on the ruins of an ancient city. But God said, those ancient ruins, they'll be rebuilt. The desolate land, that laid, that, excuse me, the land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all those who pass by. Mark Twain in the 1860s goes to Israel. He writes about it. You can read it. He, he said, he said, there's hardly even a cactus. He said, I traveled an entire day without even seeing one human being. It was desolate. But then he says, that desolate land shall become like the Garden of Eden. And that waste and desolation, the ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. I think it's interesting. It's like the Garden of Eden. Israel today produces more food per acre than any place on the face of the earth. That little nation is exporting food like crazy. Well, God said that was going to happen. Then the nations which are left all around shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places, planted what was desolate. The Lord has spoken it and will do it. I first went to Israel in 1983, and uh, we're, we're on this tour bus, and we're going through this, this section, and, and I look outside. I cannot see one tree, one shrub, not a blade of grass. And the tour guide said, uh, this is where David's army fought Absalom. And I remember, this is the place where the Bible says the forest is so thick that the forest killed more people than the battle, and the battle killed 20,000 people. Right? It had become totally, totally desolate. 
Exactly what they said. Now you go back today and they've planted trees everywhere. And, and, and there's vegetation. Uh, we, we, we were down in what they refer to as the desert area, the Nendegev. And uh, we stopped at a strawberry farm. These strawberries were so big, it took, I could put three of them in my hand. We saw, we, we, we're looking, we're seeing cabbages and color flowers that are this big. It's like the Garden of Eden. Exactly what God said was going to happen. The Bible is full of prophecies to prove that this is not just an ordinary book. This is a supernatural book. This is the will of God. And, of course, it's there, that Old Testament, to point us to Christ. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer year by year, make those who approach perfect. So that priest would go into that, that place where the Ark of the Covenant was. But the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that Jesus went into the holy place, but not the one on earth, the one in heaven. Or it was a copy. In fact, God told Moses, make it exactly the way I show you, because that tabernacle of Moses was a copy of a tabernacle God had in heaven. The priest went into the one on earth, but Jesus took his blood and put it in the tabernacle in heaven. And the Bible says he obtained an eternal redemption. And that the blood of Jesus right now, that blood of sprinkling, is speaking on your behalf, saying, forgive them, bless them, deliver them, give them peace. God's, God has that blood in his presence 24-7, 365, and that blood of Jesus is speaking on your behalf. Everything in the Old Testament was a type. It was a shadow pointing to what Jesus was going to do. You know, we talk about the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God. It's God speaking to you and to me. It's the will of God, and it is absolute truth. And we say the Bible has got the, gr the great answers to life's questions, and, and it is true. But the Bible also has the greatest questions. Let me give you a couple of them. The Bible says, what is your life? Think about that. What's your life? Somebody would say, well, my life's my family. Somebody would say, my life's a wreck. Somebody else might say, my life's my job. Somebody else would have the answer, well, my life's going nowhere. My life is, is my spouse, my kids. But the Bible answers the question. And the Bible says, what's your life? It's but a vapor. It's here for a moment and it's gone. You know, in the North Country where we live, it's cold in the winter. And you go outside and you breathe and you see your breath. And in two or three seconds, it's gone. And the Bible says, that's what your life is like. In light of eternity, your life is just like a vapor that's here and it's gone. Another question from the Bible, what will the end be? Someday your body will wear out and die. And when that happens, what is the end going to be? Well, the, the Bible says it is a multiple choice, but it's only two choices. It's A, I'm going to spend eternity with God in fellowship with him in a place we call heaven, or I'm going to spend eternity separated from God in a place of torment that's called hell. A third question, a jailer comes to a man named Paul and says, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And Paul answers that question and says that you need to believe on and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. In other words, there is no other Savior. There's no good works I can do. I can't pray enough or give enough or fast enough. Nothing that I can do can make me right with God. But Jesus came 
died on a cross, shed his blood and paid for your and my sins. And the Bible says to as many as receive him, to them, he gives the right to be the children of God. So I want to pray with you and I want to lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus. And if you will pray this prayer from your heart, when we say, amen, you're going to be right with God. So once you repeat this, make this, these words your own say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again, victorious over death, over sin, and over the devil. And I give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I receive Jesus as my Savior, as my King, and I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. I'm forgiven. I'm a part of your family, a part of your kingdom now, today and forever, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you just prayed that prayer from your heart, God heard that prayer, and you're right with God. Now, I've written a book to help you keep on growing spiritually. I want to send it to you absolutely free of charge, and all the information is right there on your screen. Thank you so much for being with us, and God bless you. If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne, you are making one of the best decisions of your life. We are so excited for you. Just as Pastor said, we'd love to send you a free copy of his book, Your New Life. Log on to walkingbyfaith.tv and have a copy mailed to you. Download it instantly or check out our new audiobook. You can also find all these things on our app. This book is absolutely free and a great resource for you to have. Walking by Faith is changing lives on and off the air with the help of viewers like you. When you choose to sow into God's kingdom, He will pour out His blessings upon you just like it says in Malachi 3.10. If you'd like to become a partner with us, we have three easy ways to give. One, text WBF-GIVE to 1-888-364-GIVE. Two, visit walkingbyfaith.tv give. Or three, click on the giving icon in our app. We would love to connect with you. When you scan this QR code, you can download our app, send us a prayer request, check out our weekly devotional, and most importantly, stay connected. We pray that this series will help you strengthen your spiritual disciplines and will help you grow in your relationship with God. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.